Good morning, church. It is so good to be here with you this morning. So looking forward to the time that we have together to dig into his word. If you will, go ahead and be turning your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be in chapter 1. That is the only place that we will be today. While you're turning there, I want to ask, ask you a favor. Um, I really desire your prayers, guys, not just over the next couple of uh, weeks as I take time to seek God and and um, vision and direction for how we need to move forward as a congregation. But I also uh, covet your prayers this afternoon. Um, at two o'clock, I'll be doing a funeral for Mr. William Leach. Some of y'all got to meet William a couple of weeks ago. Um, him and his wife had been here twice, and um, they just moved from Maine. And um, unfortunately, Tuesday night, uh, William was called home not unfortunately for him, but unfortunately for Miss Pam, William was called home to be with the Lord. So y'all please be in prayer for me as I do this funeral for this family. Um, uh, at first, I, it was one of those things where I was like, do I really need to do this? But the more I talked to Miss Pam, it was confirmed that, yes, I need to be there for her during this time. And guys, over the month, um, when I get her number, I'm going to be giving it to the staff. Uh, for them to be checking on her. Um, Y'all get with the staff. Get her number. Call her and check on her. She hasn't been in the community here very long. Um, they don't have many friends. They did. They were a part of a Bible study in their uh, community, in their, um, the community that they live. But uh, I really need y'all to be reaching out to Miss Pam. Um, James told us that pure religion is this, is that we take care of the widows and the orphans. And please, 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 guys, I challenge you as a congregation to love on Miss Pam during this time. The message that's being brought to you this morning is, a, um, is the last part of one that we've been going through on biblical paradox. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself but when you really look into it, there is a lot of truth to what is being said. We talked about to be, to be greatest, you've got to be last. We talked about how, you know, serving others is what Christ came to do for us. And how that paradox just doesn't res always resonate in the church. To serve, to be first, we must serve. To, we must put ourselves last. Um, this week, we're going to be hitting on one that is, it's going to be kind of hard to really see the paradox of what I'm saying here, but I will explain to it the paradox. And the paradox in this week's message is the foolishness of God. Contradicts itself, doesn't it? The foolishness of God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've never thought of God as being foolish. Have you? No. He is the almighty God. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he does reign. He reigns forever. So for the thought to even come about of foolishness of God, that seems very contradictory to me. In Corinthians, Paul's dealing with a very difficult situation. 1 Corinthians, I find it kind of humorous. 1 Corinthians, one of the first things that Paul points out is, I hear there's some arguing among you. This is comforting to me. This is comforting to me because the Corinthian church had not been established that long, that long at all. This isn't far after Christ had gone home to be with the Father and to reign in heaven. 
And the church is already having arguments. That's encouraging to me. Now, I know it's not good for a church to have an argument, but sometimes I think we have too many arguments. And a lot of times those arguments are over some pretty foolish stuff. The argument that Paul is trying to set straight here is over some pretty foolish stuff as well. Some people in Corinthians have been led to the Lord by by a gentleman by the name of Apollos. Apollos was one of Paul's counterparts. He was one of the people who was helping spread the gospel just like Paul was. The other person that people had come to know Christ through was from Paul. So there become this argument. I think it's the first denominations, to be honest with you. There becomes this argument that this group of the church in Corinth is from Apollos. And this church, this group in the church is from Paul. And there becomes this bickering back and forth. And it's going back to that whole thing about what the disciples asked a couple weeks ago about who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And Paul really wants to hammer this out, and I want to hammer this out. Because I'm going to be honest with you. This message has already convicted me to my core on how we present the gospel. And this morning, that is what Paul is trying to address the people. How they present the gospel is what matters. Is there a correct way to present the gospel? Absolutely. There is a correct way that God has desired for us to present the gospel, and it is the way that we should stick with. So, to battle this argument, I'm going to pick up in verse 17, and we're going to read through verses 25. To combat this argument, Paul says these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the, um, of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. To Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God, the foolishness of of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Pray with me. Father, I do. I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for 
how you've already made yourself known to us in Sunday school. I want to thank you for how you made yourself known to me, Lord, in just driving to this place this morning. Father, this morning our hearts are heavy for many. Our hearts are heavy for Miss Pam, Lord, who just lost her husband this week. We pray for comfort and peace for her. Our hearts are heavy for the young man and little girl who lost their mother and father this week in a car wreck. And I know the Fannin County Police Department, Sheriff's Department, their hearts are broken too because this was one of their fellow deputies. Father, we need you. Every hour of our day, we need you. We just don't realize it. We need your comfort. We need your strength. We need your compassion. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love. We need everything that you are, Lord. Not just so that we can get through this time that we have on this earth, but so that while we're here on this earth that we can reflect you. Father, we need your wisdom, not our own. For far too long, we've trusted on our own understanding and our own wisdom. And this morning, I pray as we dig into these scriptures that we will see, that we will see the error in our own ways when it comes to presenting the gospel and how you have, Lord, you have put this gospel in place so that men, women, and children could come to know Jesus as Lord, Master, and Savior. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And I pray that you would give us a heart to understand the message that is being brought before us this morning. This morning, Lord, I desire for the people to hear from you. I don't want them to hear my words. I want them to hear directly through you, for, for, from you. Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The reason I wanted to back up to 17, because 17, most of your, book, most of your Bibles probably have a, a little break between 17 and 18, but 17 really has an added bonus or an added portion to this scripture that helps us understand what Paul is talking about. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really think about this. Can you... Make the cross ineffective. Can you make the cross ineffective? It's a statement that probably most of us haven't thought about. It's a statement that most of us probably have not even considered. But many of us at some time have felt like we have caused damage to the cross or to the message of the gospel. Maybe it's some habits we have. Maybe there's some habits that we have that, um, that we feel like in some way, shape, or form cause hindrance to the gospel. I'm going to be clear. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be transparent. Um, I know a lot of people went to the concert last night. I got a call last night to, for tickets to go to the concert for King and Country. And, and a friend of mine was calling me said, I've got all these tickets. Do you want them? And I was just like, no, I really don't. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't listen to a lot of Christian music. I don't. You get in my car, you're going to hear 70s and 80s rock. 
It's just who I am. It's the what I grew up on. Does that mean I don't like Christian music? No. I got into what was going on up here a while ago. Tommy and the choir really led my heart to an attitude of worship through the songs that were sung. But it's not something that I listen to every day. And even in that habit, sometimes somebody would get in the car with me and 38 Special comes on and I'm just like, oh, whoa, wait. But it's too late. They've turned it up. They've turned it up. So they're jamming out to it too. But sometimes we think our habits, sometimes we think some of the habits that we have causes hindrance to the cross. Sometimes we think some of our actions, some of our actions causes a hindrance to the cross. Maybe, maybe we do something that we really shouldn't do. Um, maybe we go out to a restaurant Maybe we've had bad service, and I'm talking extremely bad service. You know what I'm talking about, right? And when you have bad service and you get that check, you see that line that says tip. You got a tip for them. It's just not monetary. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something, and I'm not doing this to brag, and I'm not doing this because of anything. So y'all can say, look at what Scotty does. But I want you to know, I tip no less than 25%. And I'm going to tell you why I tip no less than 25%. Because the actions of some people who call themselves the church to waitresses have caused them a hindrance or caused them to have a problem with church. You talk to most waitresses, the day of the week that they dread most is Sunday. Why? Because Christians sometimes can be some of the cheapest, rudest, and disrespectful people out there. Those actions, those actions, we don't think about them, but they can cause a hindrance. I don't think they take away the power of the, God, the cross, but they can cause a hindrance with people. Another one for me, and this one's bad with me, Lack of self-control. I have a bad, bad thing about where I speak what's on my mind. And sometimes there's no filter between what's coming out of my mouth and who's living in my heart. You know what I mean? Just tell it how it is. Sometimes it comes out in a tactful type of way, and sometimes it ain't tactful at all. Sometimes it is downright degrading. And even in that, there's sometimes in me that I feel like that causes a hindrance to the cross. Brothers and sisters, your actions, your habits, and your lack of self-control do not take away from the power of the cross. But they do cause damage to your character. They cause damage to who you say you are. They in no way take away from the power of the cross. They take away from your witness. Mary, give me an amen on that one. They take away from your witness and your testimony. They can cause damage to the church. That's no joke. They can cause damage to the church. They cause damage to the ministries. It can cause damage to the reputation. It can cause damage to the effectiveness. They can damage your effectiveness. In being a true disciple maker. 
You don't believe me? Let me loan you my kids for a few hours and let them point out everything you do wrong. They're good at it. They're so good at it. They don't cause damage to the cross. They cause damage to your character, to your reputation, to your effectiveness, to the church's effectiveness, to the church's ministry. But never, never do they cause damage to the cross. So what does cause damage to the cross? What causes the cross to be ineffective? And in verse 17, you got to really read this close to really see what Paul's saying here. Paul says it again. I want to read it again. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with cleverness of speech, or some of your translations say wisdom of words. That's what it's talking about. So that the cross of Christ would not be made void. What Paul is saying is that we cause damage to the cross or the effectiveness of the cross, not by how we live, not by what we say, but by how we present the cross. How we present it to people is what causes the damage and the effectiveness to God drawing people to his self. How does this happen? Well, it happens in two ways. The first way is we downplay the cross. When I say the word cross, and I want you to be honest with me, okay? I don't want the church answers. But when I say cross, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? Some say Christ. One of the things that first comes to my mind is a pendant that everybody wears. How many of y'all got a cross on your necklace right now? For some people, for people who are not accustomed to the church and not accustomed to the way we believe, they see it as a logo. Some people see it as decoration. Any of you got crosses in your, church, in your home? Some of you have some beautiful decorative crosses in your home. Some people see it as nothing more than a symbol. But when the Corinthians heard this, I want you to really consider what is going through their mind when they hear the message of the cross. Because to the Corinthians, the message of the cross was a message of torture. It was a message of death. It was a message of punishment. They didn't wear crosses around their neck. They didn't have crosses hanging in their homes. Crosses were out in the public for everybody to see. And those crosses were a reminder of what would happen to you if you committed some crime that was worthy of death. The Romans were the ones who created the whole crucifixion concept. They created it not because it was a quick, easy way for people to die. They created it because it was torture, because it was punishment, because it was painful, it was agony. So when we see the message of the cross here, they're not seeing it as a little trinket. They're not seeing it as a logo. They're not seeing it as anything other 
than torture. Some of us don't really portray the cross as torture, do we? We don't want to portray it like that. Because if we portray it like that, there's a good chance that it may offend somebody. It may hurt somebody's feelings. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you. We're living in an ultra-sensitive time. And I'm offended that everybody's so offended. Just being real. Just being real. We are living in an ultra-sensitive time. And everybody is scared to say something to someone because they're afraid they're going to hurt their feelings. They're afraid they're going to cause them some offense. But brothers and sisters, when it comes to the cross, realize this. The very word of God says that the cross, the message of the cross is offensive. It's a message that people aren't just going to openly embrace. It's not a message that's always going to bring about warm, fuzzy feelings. And those warm, fuzzy feelings, that's another way we cause damage to the cross. Because not only do we downplay the cross from what it really is, we also upplay it to something that it is not at all. We make it something that has nothing to do with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a tendency, a tendency to sell it, to sell it as a way to attain prosperity, a way to obtain success, a way to obtain good fortune, a way to obtain peace, or a way to obtain health. The cross never promises us that we will be rich on this earth. It does promise us that we will have a heavenly inheritance that nothing on earth can touch. The cross never promises us that we will have good luck, good days, and everything will be well. It does promise us that we will have an abundant life, and that abundant life is a life with purpose, a life with meaning. But it's not a life without conflict. The cross never promises us that we will have peace with men. We know better than that. You get two or more in a room together, there will be an argument. There will be an opinion. There will be a debate. Whether it be politics, whether it be the Rams who are going to win the Super Bowl. Just saying. Joe don't agree but we agreed to disagree and we still love each other. There will be a disagreement. The cross doesn't promise peace with men. The cross promises peace with God, a peace inside of you that no matter what you're going through, you know everything is going to be okay. The cross never promises physical healing. This one gets me the most. You come to Jesus You'll be healed. Some of you have heard of Joni, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Have you? Oh. Paraplegic. In a wheelchair for the rest of her life. And she used to all go to all these meetings, 
all these meetings that would claim that you would get healing. And she would go. And when they wheeled her in, they would always take her to a separate location. A separate location. Off from everybody else. And she always wondered, why did they put her somewhere else? Well, when it come about time for the healings to take place, they pulled people from another location. They pulled people from other locations, and honestly, they did it because they had lined it up beforehand. And that really offended Joni to the cross. Why is it that all these other people are getting healed? Why is it that all these people, all these other people won't come up on a wheelchair, but I'm still here? And in Mark chapter 1, God showed her the verse that she needed when Jesus is preaching and healing and doing all these things. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, you've got people lined up over here. They're waiting to be healed. They're waiting to be healed. Come on, let's get going. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says something extremely hard. He says, let's go somewhere else. Because this ain't why I come. I didn't come here to heal earthly sickness. I came here to heal an ill heart. Let me go preach the gospel elsewhere because that's why I come. The cross doesn't preach, teach, or even promise that there will be physical healing. But the cross does promise that a spiritual healing will take place in you. A spiritual healing that cannot be given to us by any of our medical professionals today. And it's the spiritual healing that we need. See, when we upplay the cross, or we sell it as anything other than the message of death, the death of Christ, to pay a debt for the penalty of our sins, we make the cross ineffective. We make the cross void of its power because that is not where the power of the cross comes from. The power of the cross comes from what Jesus did on it. And the only thing the cross truly offers is a reconciled relationship with man and God. That's it. That's it. That's all it promises. It never promises wealth. It never promises good fortune. It never promises peace. It never promises health. It only promises to be the bridge that we burnt down. The cross brings healing that no medical professional can bring. The cross brings an inheritance that we can't waste away. And the cross brings eternal peace that can't be affected by any situation. The cross, is it pretty? The cross, is it easy? The cross, is it cool? But the cross is effective. It's effective. 
It's effective. It's the message given to sinful men that bring them to an understanding for a need of a Savior and a need for Christ. And this is where this whole foolish thing comes in. Because let's just be honest for a second. Let's just be real for a second. How many of you have heard the gospel a thousand times? How many of you have probably heard it tens of thousand times? Jerry, he's preached it, what was it, 27,000 times? There's got to be more though, right? There's got to be more than just that, right? That's kind of foolish to think that the answer to all of our problems is all wrapped up in one message. That's kind of foolish, isn't it? That's kind of foolish, isn't it? It's kind of foolish, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's kind of foolish how I get up here every Sunday and I preach from the same book. I never get another book. I preach from the same book, time and time again. And me and Jerry talked about this the other day. There's sometimes I'm sitting here thinking, didn't I just preach this? Didn't I just say this? Didn't I just use this scripture? I love my wife. My wife is perfect for this because she'll write down on her Bible when I preach something. So sometimes I'll get her Bible. She don't know it and I'll look through. Yeah, ain't been there. Let's go there. Good to go. But honestly... We do this and we do not think what we're really, what's really going on in our mind. Because what's really going on in our mind is we think that there's got to be more. We think that there's got to be something else. We think that we have to spice it up. We think that we have to play it up a little. We think that we got to downplay it a little so we don't offend people. And you know what we tell God when we do that? We tell him, your message is foolish. Your message is foolish. Because this couldn't be the only way, God. This couldn't be the only answer for the problems that we have in our life. So why is it that we struggle? Why is it that we struggle with the message of the cross? Why do we struggle with downplaying it? Why do we struggle with upplaying the message of the cross? Why do we think we know a better way? Why do we think we know what men need to hear? Why do we think these things? Because we think we're smarter than God. We're down here 365 days a year. We know what's going on. We know what's happening at our neighbor's house. We know what's happening in our family. We know what they need to hear. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. Pastors, pastors struggle with this. Preachers struggle with this. Evangelists struggle with this. And guess what? I know you struggle with this too. I know you struggle with this too. When it comes to the point when you have somebody put right before you that you know needs Christ, you know the message. You know the gospel. 
There's no way that you can be in a church for more than a year and be in a Bible teaching church and not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, come to make atonement for the sins of sinful man. And he did this by dying on the cross. They took him off that cross. They buried him. And on the third day, he rose to show his victory over sin, to show his victory over death, and to show that you can have a new life through him. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But that's not what we want to tell people. Scotty, you'll hurt people's feelings if you tell them that they've done something wrong. I find that funny, and don't take this anyway. I find it funny that you have a problem with telling people that they're doing something wrong, but you don't have a problem telling me, Jerry, Tommy, any of the Sunday school teachers, any of the deacons, any of the trustees when they're doing something wrong. I find that kind of humorous. Be honest. Sometimes the message seems a little foolish. Sometimes the message seems like it's lacking something. And sometimes we think that we need to put some elegant words behind it. Brothers and sisters, elegant words do not lead to a radical transformation. A radical message leads to a radical transformation. And the cross is a radical message that our world doesn't understand. It's a message of our our defiled hearts sinning against a holy, righteous God who has the right, who has the right to condemn us to an eternity in hell. But his son loved us so much and desired for that relationship to be back with us so much that he didn't stay in heaven. He come down from heaven. He lived a sinless life. He lived perfectly. He lived it to show us we could do it or he could do it. We can't do it. And then he went to the cross. And he went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross to get to heaven. He was already there and he come down. He went to the cross so that you could be with him. He went to the cross because you messed up. He went to the cross because of your sin. And that's where the power comes in. Because for God so loved the world that he just didn't stay up there, out there, wherever, wherever heaven's at. He didn't just stay there. He come for us. He came running for us. While we were running away from him, he was chasing us. And brothers and sisters, I know many of you have got a testimony like mine. He chased you for a long time. Aren't you so thankful that he never gave up on you? And it wasn't clever words that brought you to know who Jesus was. It wasn't an elaborate speech that brought you to know who Jesus was. It was the cross that brought you to know who Jesus was. And that is why he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And no man can come to the Father except through him. 
That's the gospel. That's the power of it. And where we find ourselves, we find ourselves in verses 19 through 25. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Listen to what that's saying. It wasn't of our own that we come to know God. We didn't just think about it and poof, it happened. It was through his wisdom and the way he did things that we come to know him. It's not because of us walking down an aisle. It's not because of us making a profession. It's because he drew us. He drew us because we didn't know we needed help. We were wise. We thought we were good. We didn't think we needed any help. We were doing life on our own, messing it up all along the way. But we didn't know we needed him. But he knew. He knew just how much we needed him. And he come in a very unlikely way. That's his wisdom. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolish. But those who are called, both Greek and Jews, cross the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than any way. So what's that saying? Just to make it simple, what that's saying is sometimes our ineffectiveness when it comes to evangelism has nothing to do with God and has everything to the way we present the message. Sometimes our, our message makes the cross more ineffective than our habits, our actions, and even our lack of self-control. Sometimes the message causes people to believe in something That is not the cross. Sometimes the message causes people to believe in something that's not Jesus. And sometimes people preach a message that even leads people to believe in something that's not the gospel. I 
true reason we don't like to talk about the cross is because deep inside we know how offensive it is. Deep inside we know that it's more than a trinket. Deep inside we know that it's more than a logo, more than a decoration in our house, a house. Deep inside we know that it is the penalty that was paid for us so that we could come to know him. And we know how offensive it was to us. But sometimes I think about, I think we forget about the saving power that it has given us. We focus on what's not important and we miss the change that's happened in us. Sometimes we present a cross that looks nothing like Jesus at all. Sometimes we present a cross that makes people feel good about themselves. Brothers and sisters, I try to read every day. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There is a day that goes by that I read the Bible and I don't have some heart check to where I don't feel good about who I am. Because it's a mirror. The word of God is a mirror that shows me all my imperfections. And you know what? The cross still offends me. The only difference is now it offends me because I know that it wasn't the nails that held him on that cross. It was his love for us even though we continued to sin. And that crushes me. The cross is the power of salvation. The cross is the message that we have been given to preach. The cross is the only way that we come to a right relationship with God. And the cross is the only message we ever need to preach. Sometimes it may take a hundred times. Sometimes it may take a thousand times. Who knows? Some people may have heard it a million times. But you know what? Through that foolish message, quoting the scripture, that's how people are saved. Every morning, I try to spend a little bit of time in prayer after Jennifer takes the kids um, and it gets quiet in the house. I try to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, sometimes I struggle. You ever have those mornings where you just don't know what to pray? You ever have those mornings where you know you've got to have a conversation with God, but you don't know what to pray? I have those a lot. So you're not alone. But a friend of mine told me about a little book that he got, and it's called The Valley of Vision. And it's nothing but a book of Puritan prayers. I love it. I love it because of the honesty that you can find in these Puritan prayers. I love it because of the poetry of this. But I want you to listen to this prayer that is entitled The Crucifixion and the Resurrection. And just listen to what this guy some 200 years ago is saying about the cross and the resurrection. 
O Lord, I marvel that thou shouldest become incarnated, come to earth, be crucified, dead, and buried. The grave calls forth my wonder, adoring wonder, for it is empty, and you are risen. The fourfold gospel proves true to it. The living witnesses prove it. My heart experiences know it. Give me to die with thee that I may rise in new life. For I wish to be as dead and buried to sin, to selfishness, and to this world that I might not hear the voices of the charmers and I might not be delivered from, that I might be delivered from my lust. Oh Lord, there is much ill in me. Crucified. There is much flesh in me. Mortified. Purge me from myself. Purge me from my selfishness, the fear of man and the love of approbation, the shame of being thought of old-fashioned, the desire to be cultivated or modern. Let me reckon my old life dead because of the cross and never feed it as it was a living thing. Grant me to stand with my dying Savior, to be content with being rejected, to be willing to take up unpopular truths, and to hold fast to despise teachings, even unto death. Help me to be resolute and cross-contained. Never let me wander from the path of obedience to thy will. Strengthen me for the battle ahead. Give me courage for all the trials and grace for all the joys. Help me be the holy and happy person, free from every wrong desire, from everything contrary to my mind. Grant me more and more of the resurrection life. May it rule me. May I walk in its power. And may I be strengthened by its influence. You can't take them apart. The cross and the resurrection play equal parts of your salvation. The cross is the debt that was paid for your sin. The resurrection is the victory over sin, over death, and an opportunity to new life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And it's only in that gospel that people are truly saved. This week, I promise you, this week, 
you're going to have an opportunity put before you to share the message of the cross. And you're going to be tempted to do two things. You're either going to be tempted to downplay it. God, I don't want to offend nobody. God, I don't want to hurt their feelings. God, I want them to feel good about themselves. I'm going to be honest with you. I'd rather a person feel bad about themselves and go to heaven than feel good about themselves and spend an eternity in hell. Don't give in to that temptation. The other temptation, you're going to be tempted to play it up. Well, that needs a little pizzazz. It needs some elegant words. It needs some charm behind it. The cross is just that. It is the cross. It is the bridge that God used to connect man and him. And it is the only way that we come to know him. It doesn't promise health. It doesn't promise prosperity. It doesn't promise success. It doesn't promise good luck. And it does not promise peace. It promises eternal life with him. This week, you're going to be given the opportunity. And you say, Scotty, how do you know? How do I know? Because every one of you interact with people who are lost, undone without Christ. Some of you work with people who are lost, undone without Christ. Many of you go to school with people who are lost and undone without Christ. Many of you will go to the grocery store and interact with somebody who is lost and undone without Christ. Many of you go Home Depot, Walmart, and interact with people who are lost and undone without Christ. That's your opportunity. You're going to be tempted to downplay it. You're going to be tempted to upplay it. But I encourage you, hold to the message that saved you. Hold to the message that brought you to know who God was. For some of you this morning, God may be drawing you right now. You know with everything in you that you are completely separated from him. And you know that the sin in your life is what separated you from God. But you also know this morning that Christ loved you so much that he come to pay the debt for that sin. And the Bible is, the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear. Turn. Turn from the way you are living your life. Quit trusting in yourself and believe in Jesus. Believe in him like you trust your seatbelt to keep you safe. Believe in him like you trust that handgun in your nightstand drawer. Believe and trust in him like you trust in the doctors for your health. Believe and trust in him to be your savior. And if you do that this morning, you will have eternal life with him. That's what the Bible says. Does it say anything about walking an aisle? 
It doesn't say anything about saying a prayer. It says repent and believe. And this morning, if God's drawing you to repent and believe, after I pray, I want to talk to you. I'll be right here. I want to talk to you. Because I want to talk to you about the message that changed my life. And it wasn't all for the better. But I promise you this. My life is more fulfilling. My life is more rewarding. And my life has more purpose than it ever did before. Come talk to me. Father, the message of the cross, it is, it's foolish. It's foolish to those who don't believe, but for all of us, Lord, who have come to know the power of that message, it is the very thing that saved us. And Father, there are so many times that even I am tempted to jazz it up a little. Even I am tempted, Lord, to downplay the harshness of it. But Father, that punishment that Jesus was given, that was my punishment. And he took it. Help us to never downplay the punishment that Jesus took for us. Father, that cross, it never promised me anything on this earth, but it did promise me an inheritance with you. Help me to never, Lord, play the cross up to be something that leads people to something other than Jesus. This morning, Lord, whether people are online or here in the congregation, you deal with them, Lord. You draw them. You give them the strength. You give them what they need. Whether they need to come to this altar this morning, Lord, or they just need to bow down and pray right where they are, you deal with them, God. Father, I love you. And I thank you for the message of the cross. It's in Jesus' name I pray. I got up early this morning and I was just doing math in my head. And yeah, I can do that. Don't laugh. I do math in my head. I do it better with my head than I can with a calculator. But I was just thinking about on the average um, of when I come to know Christ. That means that 520 times before I come to know Christ, I had already heard the message of the cross. 520 times. And I know some of y'all are like, well, how do you know that? My mom drugged me to church. I mean, the day after I was born, we were in church. But my mom drugged me to church. So I know I heard the message at least 520 times before I come to know Christ. See, that's the thing. Sometimes we think, They've heard it enough. Sometimes we think, well, they already know it. You don't know. Your voice this week may be the one that they need to hear that leads them to know who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Don't minimize the power of the cross.